whether the Sunday school calendar should follow the school year, including a dormant period for summer months. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg. This is a question that came up for us early in our church search. And I mentioned it on the Tech Support Rich show a year ago, September. So almost a year ago now. In an interview talking about... Uh, one of the challenges of trying to find a new church and evaluate the quality of small groups and evaluate the quality of Christian education, whether it's possible to do that particularly well when you don't have any young children. The first time we found a church when we moved to the area that we're in now, call it 17 years ago, give or take, the guiding force behind that was really our children. At some point, we decided we needed to get back into regular church worship after moving into a new city and kind of acclimating ourselves to a new home and, and getting at least my, my feet started in my job and finding a job for my wife. The process of looking for a church was nowhere near as elaborate as the one that we've just completed here in the past year or so, but it was nevertheless that kind of thoroughness on a much smaller scale. One of the things different about two decades ago was that we were focused on one particular denomination. Uh, I don't know why that seems so important, but I think in making a transition from the Midwest to the Mideast, going four states away, being that much further away from family, and making, with only a couple of exceptions, brand new friends across the board, it became sort of an anchor for me in some ways to say, at least one part won't be changed. We've been United Methodists since the day we were married, and we'll still be United Methodists when this transition from one city to another is complete. So we focused on making a change within that denomination, and really, from where we lived in, in our the, then our new home, there were only maybe a handful, maybe seven churches within reasonable driving distances to us. And we actually, at one point, kind of went even further outside what I would call the ideal driving distance. And what really made a difference for us as we were looking from church to church was the response of our kids. Now, I've always been pretty confident in my faith. I've had experiences which I've shared about on inappropriate conversations, and those experiences really solidified what had already been a pretty good foundation for me in terms of my spiritual growth. Not only was I in a very good church as a young child and felt like I took full advantage of Sunday school, especially in, say, between the 5th and 8th grades. But I also had done my own independent sort of course of study in high school. Then in college, I ended up getting a minor degree in religious studies, not focused strictly on Christianity either, really focused in that part of my studies more on the rest of the religions in the world. So I didn't feel like I needed to have a church with a Sunday school-type education for my own edification to equip me in any way. But I really felt very strongly that my kids did need that. We moved when they were ages six and three, and we made this church decision when they were probably more like the ages of six and four or seven, seven and four. So there was a, a process of going to visit a church 
and making sure we got there in time for the kids to participate in the Sunday school hour. And then, without making it seem like they had too much power and control, uh, it's not a good idea to make somebody who's in uh, the early part of elementary school feel like they've got a veto over things which the family is doing, but nevertheless providing for sort of a version of that veto. Because any church situation that we were in as a visitor that did not make my children comfortable was unlikely to be a church that we were going to join. So there was a church early on that we visited that, you know, I felt it, I felt like it really wasn't the right fit. There were things about it that were good, but it didn't seem like we fit in. There was something about it that just didn't feel ideal to me. It would work. And it became sort of the plan B church for me during the rest of that process of exploring and visiting the United Methodist churches near our home. And our kids kind of liked it. I mean, the one thing that didn't eliminate it for me right off the bat was that my daughter thought it was good, enjoyed that church. Uh, even you know, a few months later was talking about visiting that one again, perhaps. My son, though, didn't take to it. So then we, we visited another church that had quite a reputation for its um, you know, developing education program, and especially for elementary school age kids. And, you know, I didn't really take too much to the adult Sunday school my class myself, but I did like the worship service. I really liked the way the sanctuary was organized. I liked the, the message. I liked the pastor. It had a better feel for me than the one that I had some misgivings about. And I thought, hey, maybe we have actually found the church we're going to end up joining. But despite the fact that the Sunday school classes were nice and clean and well-lit and had plenty of supplies and plenty of teachers, at least two to a room, and there was a lot of enthusiasm and, and everything seemed from an adult's perspective to be very good, maybe there was something missing that only a kid could see. Maybe there was something about it where it, it didn't have the right heart, for want of a better word. Both of my kids were adamant enough about not liking that Sunday school experience that we never went back, at least not for several years, not until long after we joined another church. It scratched them right off the list. So if, as a family, we'd stopped to vote on our top two or three so far, that one might have been the top of my list, but it wasn't on my children's list at all, either one of them. And that was enough to eliminate the church, because the Sunday school experience is that important. I think I'll tell the story of finding the church that we left behind, and I'll tell it in ways that have nothing really directly to do with the Sunday school hour, but we'll get there because um, I will say that small groups and Sunday school was a really key part of making the decision to have joined that church all those years ago. We had made a decision to visit a church that was several miles further away than where we probably would have wanted to be committed to driving and participating on a regular basis. It was further south than where I was working and it was not a part of the city that I was terribly familiar with. So having moved from one job to another, I was now in a situation where I was driving further north to get to work. And I'd added some churches to the list to visit because I was now driving through you know, some of the major streets. But they were major streets I never really went down before. You get two or three miles north of the roads you travel all the time. And it's, it seems very foreign, even though it's still kind of part of your own town. But the church we chose to visit this time was even further away in the southern direction. And I'll confess, the reason that we picked it was that it was not far away from a used record store that I really liked. And it was right next door to a place that we enjoyed going for lunch and ice cream. It was a place that had put together that combination of, of hamburgers and french fries and doing that very well. Also having the equivalent of a Baskin-Robbins inside it underneath, underneath the same roof. So we thought, well, 
let's go to church. We'll try to get there in time for what they've posted as their Sunday school hour. And then after the worship service is over, we'll go next door and we'll have lunch at that restaurant. Because my thought was, no matter what anybody thinks about the church, we'll have a unanimous opinion about the restaurant. So that'll be good. So we show up at about 930 in the morning where the church, I believe, was had Sunday school at 930, worship at 1030. It was kind of what the posted sign says. And I was worried, actually. We're, we're a little bit late. So we're pulling in. We're not exactly on time. And I think that's probably typical for young parents who both work and you know both have sort of full-time commitments, aren't necessarily, you know, sometimes have a little bit of a drag to them on the weekend that every morning, when you add Sunday as a morning where you have to respond to an alarm and get up, it just becomes one more morning. And getting kids ages around, again, seven and five, ready to go to church, seven and four, ready to go to church, it can be tricky. So we're probably a couple of minutes late, or at least off the pace they wanted to be on. But when we got to this church, there was nobody there. And by nobody there, I mean nobody there. There was no sign saying the church had been canceled that Sunday. No directions on the marquee indicating that they were doing a shared worship experience with another congregation. Please join us there. There wasn't any worship in the park that was being advertised. And yet, despite the fact that we were there, nowhere near daylight savings time. This is not at a time where the the clocks could have been wrong. The church doors were locked. Uh, Every entrance was locked. There were no cars in the parking lot indicating that maybe there was uh, maybe a pastor or somebody who was you know, working in an office. And um, I didn't see a doorbell to ring. Some churches have that situation. If you if you might be have the pastor working alone in the church, there might be a bell that you could ring if you wanted to interact with somebody. None of that. This church was as empty as other churches I see on a Monday, where sometimes the church office takes Monday as the day off because Sunday is very much a working day for your average church. So we hung around for at least 10 or 15 minutes. We were there past the point of of somehow being too early, and we decided that we were just going to give up. That The problem was we were too early to eat at this restaurant that we'd picked. It was nowhere near lunchtime. And just off the cuff, a casual conversation between me and the rest of the family on, should we visit this church that I drive by almost every day on my way to work? This one that they hadn't probably really seen before, except... If I'd driven past it to point to it and say, that's the one I'm talking about. And I I expected objection. I expected the the disappointment of having gotten up, gotten dressed, and gone to what turned out to be nothing might have been enough to make everybody just want to go home and go back to bed. But that wasn't the case. People were at least game. And I figured, well, if I get back in the car and drive straight to this other church, we'll probably be 15, 20, 30 minutes late for what their Sunday school hour would be. Not the ideal way to make your first visit. But at the very least, if I go from door to door, in this case, we might be able to salvage the situation. And we walked into that church, had a difficult time actually trying to decide which door to go into. The front door of that church led straight into the sanctuary. That's not really where you want to go to try to find where the Sunday school classrooms are, especially for young kids. But we went in what was essentially the back door, sort of navigated our way downstairs, were greeted by a very friendly pastor who showed us where the kids' classrooms were. Our kids, because of the closeness of their age, were going to be in the same classroom together. So we took them, met the teacher, dropped them off, went to the larger um, sort of fellowship hall room where a a good-sized adult class was meeting. At least 15 people, maybe 20, although I think probably a little bit shy of 20. We interrupted them because we were late. But they were very welcoming. They had an interesting conversation going. 
at one point I chose to chime into the conversation and and in my typical way, in my <clears throat> inappropriate conversations, walk the earth type way, you know, made a point that could have been conceived of as controversial and at no point did anybody feel like I'd, you know, uh, committed a faux pas or I didn't get any looks like I was the wrong guy to be in that class at that time. And even though I found out later that my point of view was pretty much in the minority in terms of uh, my view of, of Jesus being more than capable of deciding that he is going to save somebody after their earthly death. I got a lot of grace that day, I guess, as a stranger and as a visitor. And we'd never visited, again, the church that was closed on that day. I, later on, working in interfaith ministries, met the people who were pastoring that church. The church was very much open. And oddly, none of them can recall a Sunday when the church was not open on time and ready for its small group meetings before the worship service. It almost felt a little bit like a Twilight Zone type situation. The number one reason, though, that we never went back to try to visit that church again is that our kids enjoyed that Sunday school experience, connected well enough with the teacher that day, but also with other students, seemed to respond to the activities that they were doing, and wanted to go back to that church. It's in many ways sad and ironic that if you jump forward about 15 years, when I was talking to our you know, then young adult children about finding a new church and walking away from that church, that their attitude was more or less, it's about time. It's that decision is a little bit overdue. They weren't happy about it. They weren't disappointed in my wife and I for being faithful, perhaps longer than we should have been. But it's, it's a stark contrast from those kids being so enthusiastic about revisiting that church and eventually us joining to where it was when it was all said and done. There, were no, there was no moment of regret on the part of any member of my family, adults or children, about walking away. The key, though, was Sunday school. So if we look at the question today about whether or not Sunday school needs to follow the school year, including taking a break off for the summer and calling a moratorium on events, I've got kind of two minds about it. One of them is that, yes, I think that there does need to be a progression through a grading system of some sort where keep, keeping kids who are in the same classes together, if they go to the same elementary or junior high school, that makes sense. And having a moment in time where kids graduate from one classroom to the next classroom that makes sense. Although I think that may be where the important element kind of stops and everything else after this becomes somewhat relative. Because the church that we finally decided to join, that church didn't have uh, enough students, for want of a better word, to have a unique classroom for every grade. The church that I was very enthusiastic about and that my kids didn't like actually did have like first grade, second grade, third grade, all separated from each other because they had so many kids of that age that it just made sense to monitor the class size in that manner. The ch this church, they ended up in, in having lots of kids from similar grades together. So they would have like a, a kindergarten through third and a fourth through fifth and um, middle school was all together. Now, I was familiar with the idea of having middle school together as one larger group and high school together as one larger group. That was consistent with the Junior High Methodist Youth Fellowship and the Senior High United Methodist Youth Fellowship of my youth, where it kind of made sense that when you got to those upper school levels, that you would have students of multiple grades mixing together. Because in some ways, 
having a uh, seventh grader in the same classroom with an eighth or ninth grader when I was a kid. It would help make a difference if that seventh grader was new to the junior high school and experiencing any sort of bullying, or frankly, just kind of getting lost in the shuffle, that at the very least, that student would know somebody a year or two older that could look out for them, or that if they turned to somebody in a time of need, they'd be going to a church member that they were actually part of fellowship with. But in the younger grades, when I was a kid, similar situation to the one that we saw at that one church, there were enough of us that you pretty much moved from a group that was all fourth graders and nobody younger or older, to all fifth graders and nobody younger or older, to all sixth graders and so forth, until you got to junior high, which for me was seventh grade and up. So I'm used to the idea of the Sunday school following the pattern in terms of the grouping of kids by grade the way the public schools did. And it only makes sense if you're going to make that change to do it in late August or somewhere in the month of September to essentially have a promotion Sunday, not unlike a graduation event. But a lot of churches do this in such a way that they take a break for the summer. So somewhere around the time that the high school is doing its commencement, the Sunday school class for the grade you're in would end, and there would be a break all the way until the end of August when you would join the newer class and begin the Sunday school year with brand new curriculum, perhaps a new teacher, probably a new room, all that stuff starting over again. Unfortunately, I see that as being a bit of a problem. I've made a note for myself that on this particular church search, this idea of Sunday school was a pretty big deal for one of the first United Methodist churches that we visited. And by we, I mean not just me, but a lot of people from my church who left more or less at the same time and went looking for a new church, started with nearby United Methodist churches, and one of them was eliminated almost right off the bat by a couple who had grandchildren that were going to church with them because the adults didn't have a Sunday school to go to during the summer. And the kids were grouped together, I think, as one large group. So Sunday school was available on paper for children during the summer, but there was no corresponding small group meeting for adults. I found that to be very strange, because even when the church that we had all left at the same time ended, when we walked away, we had gone through a period of three or more years of just consistently meeting with our small group of of adults uh, post-high school, it's kind of what we called it. It was originally intended to be for 20-somethings to try to keep the relationship with people who graduated from high school but not moved away to college. But it eventually kind of cut across multiple age groups. We never stopped meeting. There was no reason. There might be a situation where you you'd only have two or three people on any given Sunday, but you still just kept the meeting time. It wasn't like there was a quorum. It wasn't like anybody was going to be taking a vote. And although there were times when you'd hit the summer and kids would be either off to camps or uh, visiting relatives and, and you'd lose a lot of kids, to me it still made sense to have some sort of Sunday school hour available for kids. But two of the first three churches we visited didn't even have Sunday school during the summer for kids because our, our church search started at the very end of May and really got going in earnest in the month of June. So we went looking at a time when that couple that we know who are grandparents would have been had high on their priority list evaluating what Sunday school options are available for their grandkids. Not unlike the approach we used decades ago 
on finding a church where our kids felt as strongly that the church we were going to join was a home for them, a new church home, as we did. So, although I think it's important that there be some structure and some order, and kids with a common maturity and a common experience in classrooms together, no matter how you engineer that, I also am wary of the idea that it's a good thing to take breaks for the summer, that to me a small group needs to meet on whatever pattern it meets. So on this one, I've got to say that I'm genuinely torn. Part of me thinks that Sunday school is really an important idea. It certainly was for me when we were younger and seeking a church and joining with young children. But there's another part of me that looks at it and says, you know what, maybe it's not necessarily that big of a thing if there's a small group available to me now. We still have a small group that meets every other week, as, as you can, with the people who left the church that we left behind. And there have been times we've been joined by others, including people who are now part of the church that we're going to today. But to me, I guess the most important thing is the children. And yet, there's always been part of me that worries a little bit about the quality of Christian education today. When you hear Christians in the political sphere talk about education and Christianity and children, you almost always hear something that steers away from evangelism and education and over toward proselytizing and conversion. And I'm not looking to brainwash anybody. I'm looking to share my faith, to answer questions where it's appropriate, to tell the stories that are actually in the Bible. But you know what? We do Christian education, especially for young children, in a very clumsy way. I recall having a conversation just a couple of weeks ago in a small group where we were talking about the story of Lazarus. Now, if I use the word, the name Lazarus, I mean, people pretty quickly connect with the idea of Lazarus rising from the dead. That's really the whole point of the Lazarus story. That's his big starring moment in the New Testament is dying, being left in the tomb for three or four days, and then Jesus coming along later and raising him from the dead. And I've talked about this on inappropriate conversations a couple of times before, talking about the notion of, of biblical literacy. I kind of played a little word game and said, you know, I bet if I said the word Lazarus to somebody who'd never been in a church before, the mythology of Christianity is so much a part of our culture, at least in the United States of America, that I'd be very disappointed if at least some people wouldn't automatically know, well, that's got something to do with rising from the dead. Yeah, it's, it's part of the, again, it's part of the currency we trade in, in storytelling. If I'm watching a science fiction story and there's a character named Lazarus, I, I know at some point there's at least going to be a coma involved here. <laughs> if not a Rip Van Winkle style of time travel or death and resurrection itself, that's kind of what the story is about. Here more recently in an inappropriate conversation called The Idea of Christ. And of course, these old episodes of Inappropriate Conversations can be found on the same website where the uh, episodes of Walk the Earth are posted. It's www.inappropriateconversations.org. The shows are there. All the shows are there. Not just the most recent 20 or so. The most recent ones can be found on iTunes or at Stitcher, stitcher.com for Stitcher Smart Radio. Those of us who listen to that podcast app on the go. But, no, every, every one of the episodes can be found there. And just a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the idea of Christ and this, uh, this notion that Oswald Chambers shared that 
when Jesus was getting word that his friend Lazarus was very sick and perhaps near death, Jesus decides not to immediately go to him. And he tells the disciples that it's for their own good, that he's not immediately going to Lazarus. And I mentioned this story to people who've been you know, active Christians and part of not just church, but Sunday school, leading Sunday school, in fact, for years. And they, like me originally, when I read the devotional book by Oswald Chambers called My Utmost for His Highest, I was surprised by my lack of knowledge of this section of John's gospel. But they had made the same mistake in their minds, thinking that the disciples were upset with Jesus because he didn't go straight away and save his, his, their friend Lazarus, because they'd seen Jesus heal people. They just, up to this point, hadn't seen him raise anybody from the dead yet. So that's not how the story actually goes. The disciples spend a good deal of time in that passage trying to talk Jesus out of going back to Bethany, where Lazarus was. They weren't eager for him to go there right away. In fact, they thought he was crazy to even talk about going back to Bethany. And even when the word came that Lazarus was dead, their attitude was, it's too late, don't bother going back. And when Jesus finally draws the line and says, no, we are going back, there is something going to happen there that you need to see, the reaction of the disciples is, well, let's go with them and so we can die with them. Because when we were there just a few weeks ago, the, the Jews in Bethany tried to kill Jesus. He's crazy to go back, and if he goes back, he'll probably get killed. But they were devoted enough to Jesus as a group of disciples that they were willing to go and die with him. But that's not the story that we remember. That's not the way we remember the disciples when you tell the story of Lazarus. And yet the biblical text is clear. It's right there in black and white. And my issue is that what we share in Sunday school with very small children is often as not inaccurate. We remember things about Adam and Eve and Noah that are not in the biblical text. And we don't remember things about even those most basic of stories that are in the biblical text. And this extends all the way into the New Testament. I've used the example of Lazarus, but there are others where it makes you wonder whether what we're teaching children in Sunday school isn't what the Bible says, but is instead what we've always taught kids around here. The sin of the way we've always done it around here, being exalted over the leading of the Holy Spirit or Scripture itself, on almost every occasion when that kind of tradition is squaring off head-to-head against God himself. So I worry a little bit about what it means to invest too much into a Christianity, into the education wing of Christianity, where the education we're doing is not very good. Does it make sense for me to obsess over whether or not Sunday school is being taught to young children all summer long, and not just during the school year, when perhaps the focus should be on the quality of that education happening whenever and wherever it's being done. The one thing I took from it was that if I wanted to continue to have a small group meeting that was appropriate for my age, and if I didn't want to be a teacher, which frankly right now I don't, that I was going to have to do independent of the church and independent of the church's schedule, my own small group formation, that that was going to be the way I was going to find the anchor that I needed as an adult to be equipped to continue in this church search and maybe make some wise decisions to continue my spiritual growth, despite the fact that I've, again, never really felt like I was in a great deal of need from that perspective. 
So to answer the question once more, plainly and simply, whether the Sunday school calendar should follow the school year, yes, that makes sense. Should it include a dormant period for summer months? Frankly, for young children in particular, probably not. But maybe the most important place we should put our emphasis isn't when we're teaching children, but how. If and as you are led, please join me in prayer. Eternal Creator, Lord, you've called us to equip ourselves to serve you in ministry. Jesus, you've told us to love you and to love God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind. We should, throughout our lives, be continuing to open our hearts to others, to be in touch with you, soul to soul, to be working on developing not just strength of body, but also strength of will. But Jesus, you put a unique emphasis on loving you with our minds. So Lord, I understand how important it is to continue to learn and to grow and to develop and to play where it's possible a role in the development and the growth of other people. As we as Christians, no matter how old we are or how young we are, at any age can continue to grow in knowledge and an understanding, to strengthen ourselves, to be able to be effective examples for you in the world. So, looking at the, the concept of Sunday school, Lord, I thank you for leading me away from the church you didn't want us to go to decades ago, putting us directly in contact with the church that was going to do the most to help my children to grow spiritually. But Lord, I also thank you for making it very clear to us when it was time to walk away. And Lord, I trust that you have placed us now in the new home, the new church home that you want us to attend. It is in your holy name that I offer these words of praise and these words of retrospect. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. You shouldn't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Next on Walk the Earth, whether faith can abide superstition and where to draw the line between the two. 
Thanks for listening.